morning. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, I'll get you open up to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. That's where we're, gonna, we're starting this morning. <clears throat> Probably going to spend uh, a bit of our time in and around here. And, um, and, then, um, and then we'll have a scoot over to Ephesians 4. Um, uh, in my Bible anyways, they're basically on the same page. Your Bible might be different, so you may have to turn a page. I'm just giving you a heads up just so you don't get confused. Um, <clears throat> and so I'm going, to read, I'm going to read this passage of Scripture here. We're going to start at Ephesians 2, uh, 11. And, and for this morning, this morning the, the message that I feel like the Spirit is speaking to the church, the message that I have in my heart is a message of radical unity, a vision for radical unity amongst the body of Christ. Radical unity amongst the body of Christ. And so um, I trust that you're, you're at Ephesians uh, chapter 2. If you're not, you don't have a Bible, uh, we do have it up on the screen for you to follow along. I'm reading in the, the CSB translation. If you've got a different one, yours might be a little bit different. But um, let's, let's read here, starting at verse 11. He says, So then, remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcised by those called the circumcised, which is done in the flesh by human hands. And at that time you were without Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel and foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who are far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. In He made of no effect the law consisting of commands and expressed in regulations so that he might create in himself one new man from the two, resulting in peace. He did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross by which he put the hostility to death. He came and proclaimed the good news of peace to you who were far away and peace to those of you who were near. For through him we both have access in the Father. So when you are no longer so then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ the whole building being put together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together for God's dwelling in the Spirit. So it's helpful for our understanding when we, when we approach a passage of Scripture to, to really kind of understand the situation that that, the, or, or the people that this letter or this book or whatever it is is being written to. By understanding the context, it begins to shape our understanding of what it is we're reading so we can understand the purpose and intent of the author in writing to those people. And, and so for here, Paul, Paul is, Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles. He is bringing the good news of the gospel to the Gentiles. And, and in the early church, this, this, was, this was, at the beginning anyways, quite contentious. It was quite contentious that, that Gentiles were being included in the promises of God, that Gentiles were now being brought in to relationship with God, whereas before it was Israel, as God's holy people, the Jews, that they were the ones who had the promises. They were the ones who had a covenant with Yahweh, and that, and that they were God's special people 
whom he had commissioned to, to be the light into the world and to, to see the nations blessed by. And so as the gospel is going forth, and as Gentiles who, who you know, for, for those of you who maybe not know, they're basically Gentile is just a blanket is a blanket term for anybody who's not a Jew in the Bible. When you read that, it's just a blanket statement. So, you know, if you're Irish, you're a Gentile. If, if, you're, if you're Palestinian, you're a Gentile. If you're Chinese, you're a Gentile. Basically, if you're not a Jew, you are a, sorry, yeah, you are a Gentile. Blanket statement, blanket statement all around. And so what was happening is, is Paul would go to these cities and he would preach the gospel. He would go to the synagogue first and he would proclaim the Messiah who had come. The Jews had been waiting a very long time for the anointed one, for the blessed one, for the, for the Messiah to come and to, and to set them free. And he would go into the synagogue, proclaim Jesus as the Messiah. And those Jews who were there, if they believed, they believed. If not, Paul would then go and preach the Messiah to the Gentiles. He would share the good news that God has come into the world with his kingdom and he's making all things new and he offers forgiveness and salvation and freedom for those who come to this Messiah. They can be saved. And so what Paul is doing is he's going in and these people are coming in who are not by their, by their ethnic heritage, not by their cultural heritage. They are not Jewish. Now, for us, that may that may you're, okay. Well, what kind of big deal? That's a big deal in the first century. It is a massive deal in the first century. This divide between Jew and Gentile. But what Jesus has done, what Jesus has done, is he has created this one people, this one body out of the two. I, I just want to. I want to read. I want to read here in Ephesians two a little bit earlier. Just what he's done. As I was preparing this, this sermon, it's just like, Ephesians is just such a good book. There's like, if, if we had the time and I thought you wouldn't get bored, and I thought if I was a much better preacher, I would just, we would just sit here and we would just go through Ephesians start to finish. All right, but I'm not that good. I'm not that entertaining. And so we're just going to stick in a little small section. Um, but what Jesus has done, what Jesus has done is, Paul will say, he says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously lived according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now at work in the disobedient. And we too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath, as the others were also. But God, who is rich in mercy... Because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in our trespasses. And before we can kind of really move on, before we can kind of really move on with, with the, what I feel like the, the heart and the crux of the messages this morning, I just want to proclaim that to us afresh. For those of you who know Jesus, remember what it was when he brought you from death to life. Remember what it was when he, he came and he saved you. I, 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 remember, I remember my, my salvation experience it, it, in, in a similar way to like Tom's. Like my, mine, mine was just like this moment where I, I wound up in a youth group and the presence of God came over me and my heart was beating. And, you know, I, you know, I was like, you know, kind of freaking out and really kind of, well, I, I kind of knew what was going on. I, I was just like, I knew Jesus was calling me and I was fighting it. I was fighting it. Um, 
But when I surrendered to him, it's like he made me brand new. He made me brand new. And you see, the beautiful thing about the gospel is that Jesus makes people brand new no matter who they are. No matter who they are. You don't have to be a Jew to receive Jesus and be made brand new. You don't have to have a certain religious acumen or know enough stuff or be a good enough person in order to be made brand new. And this morning, if you're here, if you're here and you're sitting here and and you haven't come to Jesus yet, you haven't had that experience that Tom had, you haven't had that experience that I've had, we haven't come to Jesus yet. I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you. Paul, Paul says here that we were, all, we were all born living in a fallen world. And we are trapped in this fallen world. But Jesus has come by his grace, by his love, to set you free. And I want to encourage you this morning, if you haven't made that step, even if your heart is pounding within your chest with fear right now, what that might mean for you, I want to encourage you to take that step and to cry out to the Lord in your heart and receive him as your savior here this morning. Because that that premise, that premise of what God does in Jesus is foundational to, to what we're talking about next, which is this unity that exists within Jesus for all people. This unity that exists in Jesus For all people. You know, Paul will talk about in one of his other letters, I believe it's Galatians, he says, you know, in Christ, there's no longer Jew or Gentile. There's no longer male or female. There's no longer slave or free. All those dividing walls, all those barriers, all those ways in which we organize our society according to rank or hierarchy or status, all those things in Christ are made nothing. All of us have been unified. All of us have been brought together in Jesus Christ. And so Paul picks up in our passage here in Ephesians 2, um, starting at verse 11, he picks up this analogy. He says this. He says, For he is our peace, who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility in his flesh. You've got to understand, this this is not just an analogy. This is, this is a very, a real reality. Well, that's superfluous. It's just, it's just, this is a real reality for, for not only Jewish believers, but Gentiles who were aware of the Jewish faith tradition. You see, because while we go, oh yeah, I get, I get you, Paul. There's, this, just this, there's just this barrier culturally between us. No, if you were to go to the temple in the first century, you would have discovered that there was various sections in the temple. And at the very center of the temple was the Holy of Holies. Now, only the high priest and only once a year could go into the Holy of Holies. But there were other parts of the temple that if you were a Jew and you were ceremonially clean, you could come into these other parts of the temple. But if you were a Gentile, there was this like outer court. It's like, you know, it like the car park of, of the temple. That if you were a Gentile... You could come, but there was a wall. There was literally a wall that stood between you and God. And just to, just to sort of show how seriously they took this dividing wall, they actually, we actually have inscriptions that are engraved on those. We've archaeologically dug up. 
We have inscriptions of what were actually on those walls. It says, no stranger is to enter within the balustrade around the temple and enclosure. Whoever is caught will be himself responsible for his ensuing death. That's pretty serious. That's pretty serious. Like as in, you just put up signposts, that you put up these signs and say, look, if you come in here and we kill you, that's on you. That's, that's <laughs> like, like our, I think our modern minds really struggled to conceptualize how seriously they took this point. And this wasn't just, this wasn't just some lip service. This wasn't just some veiled or empty threat. If, if you actually go to Acts 21... If you go to Acts 21, you see they took this thing very seriously. What happened here in Acts 21 was Paul, Paul was in the city and he had been hanging out with some Gentiles, uh, particularly a guy named, um, where's he at? Trophimus, you know, old Trophimus. He'd been hanging out with Gentiles in, in, in the city of Jerusalem and he'd been hanging out with Trophimus and some Jews from another place had seen him there hanging out with this Gentile. And then later on it says, Here in verse 26 of 21, he says, So the next day, Paul took the men, having purified himself along with them, and entered the temple, announcing the completion of the purification days when the offering would be made for each of them. And he says he goes in, and these Jews, these Jews from the province of Asia, saw him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd, and seized him, shouting, Fellow Israelites, help! This is the man who teaches everyone everywhere against our people, our law, and this place. What's more, he also brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. And verse 30 says, The whole city was stirred up and the people rushed together. They seized Paul, dragged him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut. And verse 31, it starts out with saying, As they were trying to kill him. They took this so seriously, this dividing wall of hostility that existed between Jew and Gentile, that Paul, who was a Jew, even when they thought he, is, he had brought a Gentile into the temple, they were going to kill him because of that. Now, I don't know if anybody here has ever held a belief like that so strongly. I, I don't think it's generally you know, Australian culture to want to put people to death for disagreements and trespass. But this is the cultural situation that these Jews had been raised in. That we are separate from those filthy Gentiles. We are God's people and they are pagans. And what Paul is getting at here in Ephesians 2 is that in Jesus, he has torn down that dividing wall of hostility. He has removed it. You are no longer a Jew. You are no longer a Gentile. When you come into Jesus... You become something brand new. You become part of a new humanity. You become part of a new Adam. You become wholly brand new. And what you once were is no longer the thing that defines you and divides you. And so Paul is writing to the Ephesians, and, and one of the major themes of the book of the Ephesians is trying to instill in the Ephesian church who they are in Christ. Who they are in Christ. They've been redeemed. They've been set free. Their sins have been forgiven. They have an inheritance in Christ. There is a great and mighty power at work in them because of what Jesus has done. 
And there is now no longer a dividing wall of hostility that exists between the Jews and the Gentiles. And Paul's inference here, Paul's inference here is, so don't let it divide your church. Don't, you don't get to have Jewish church and then Gentile church. You must all meet together. You must all be of one mind, be of one heart. Paul had this expectation that because of the reality of the new creation in Christ Jesus, that believers would be willing to set aside even the most hostile of cultural differences with other people who were also in Jesus. He'll go on to say in Ephesians chapter 4, He'll go on to say in Ephesians chapter 4, he says, so this is how this needs to work out. Essentially, I'm paraphrasing. He doesn't speak like me. He speaks like Paul. Um, and also, he doesn't speak like English either. He's not. Um, it's a translation. You get it. Um, <clears throat> look, he says in chapter 4, he says, look, therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to live worthy of the calling you have received with all humility with all gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, above all and through all and in all. So based on this, th this thing that God has now done, in Jesus, this good news, this gospel that he's preached, people everywhere are being made brand new. This kingdom is going forth, setting captives free, healing the sick, the blind are receiving their sight, both physical and spiritual. This whole new thing is happening, and all these people are coming in to Jesus, coming into this belief and this trust in Jesus, and they're trying to work out, well, how do we, how do we actually worship together? How do we actually work this all out? And Paul recognizes that that's, that's, a difficult, that's a difficult proposition. That's a difficult proposition. You know, churches today, churches today sometimes have real difficulties over style of music, style of service, how long or how short it goes, service times, you know, how often are we going to practice communion? How often are we going to do this? How do we baptize full immersion or sprinkling? Or do we practice infant baptism? You know, we in Australia may not have as distinct and pronounced differences as, uh, with one another as maybe the Jew and Gentile divide. But the reality is, is we still have our differences. We still have difficulties with each other. You know, and so Paul issues, he says, this is what, he's like, as, as somebody who is in prison for this good news that I've been preaching, please, would you live like this? Would you live worthy of this high calling with which you have been called to? This unity in Christ, this, this oneness in Christ. He says, Live this out with all humility. With all humility. As you follow Jesus and as you work out these differences between you, live it out with humility, with gentleness and patience. 
You know, it's, uh, it's been my learned experience that a lot of issues and a lot of problems in the life of the church can be resolved with gentleness and patience. A lot of issues can be resolved with gentleness and patience. If you're willing to just show the other person that you're not their enemy, that you're not trying to rule over them, that you're not trying to, you know, um, you're not just trying to get your way at their expense. A lot of issues can be resolved in the life of the church with gentleness and patience. He calls them to, he calls them to bear with one another in love. And I hate this statement that Paul makes because it's so hard. Paul doesn't make this statement lightly. He uses the same sort of language when he talks about persecution. You know, Paul who gets you know, stoned to the point where, where they think he's dead and they leave his body outside the city to rot, and he sort of wakes up and stumbles back in and keeps preaching. And, you know, Paul, who's been whipped and lashed so many times, you know, he probably walks with a hunch. You know, his eyesight's going probably because somebody punched him in the eye or something like that. You know, Paul, who has um, been through the absolute ringer of persecution, says, endure he says, just as I endured those things. He says, endure one another. Which I remember, I remember reading this, reading this maybe four or five years ago, and I remember just going, you know, the reality is, is that there are annoying people in church. It's none of you. <laughs> there are just annoying people in church. And the, the hard reality is, is that if there's other people that annoy you, there's a good chance you're that person for somebody else. All right? Let's just live with that reality. I know I, I annoy Keith to no end. I get more pleasure out of it than I probably should as a Christian. <laughs> but Paul says... You know, Paul, Paul says you need to bear with one another. Bear with one another. Making every effort to keep the unity. How much of an effort? A little effort? Maybe a lot of effort? 75%, you know, 80%. Every effort. Mathematically impossible 110% effort. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And he's already explained in Ephesians chapter 2 that Jesus is our peace. Make every effort. Make every effort to keep this bond of peace between us who are in Christ. He says, he says because there's only one body. There's only one body. Just as there's only one Spirit. Just as you were called into one hope. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father who is above all and through all. It, it, basically, at the end of the day, if you cannot find a good and legitimate reason to put them beyond the grace of God, you have a biblical obligation to strive for unity with that person. And the way I want to frame it for you is like this. Don't live in such a way that it's going to be awkward when you get to heaven. 
and they're there. You know, and they're sitting there going, look, I, oh, I was not expecting you. And they're like, I'm not, I was not expecting you. And Jesus is just sitting there going, yeah, <laughs> yeah, guys, <laughs> you could have sorted this out a while ago. <laughs> Don't live in such a way that it's going to be awkward when you get to heaven. This is what I believe the Spirit is saying to the church at this time. Is that God is seeking a unified people who prioritize their union with Christ and their union in Christ over and against our personal preferences and our personal theologies. He's seeking a church that would be unified in that. You know, it, the reality is we have lived, and, and, and I'm assuming that most people here are from the Protestant tradition, all right? And we, and we live out this Protestant tradition assuming that things have always been this way. And I'm not making an argument for Roman Catholicism or Eastern Orthodoxy or anything like that. What, what I'm saying, though, is that, is that when, for instance, when Paul, when Paul opens up his letter to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians, and he says, I'm, I am shocked to hear that there is these divisions among you. Some of you are saying, well, I'm of Paul, or I'm of Apollos, or I'm of Peter, or I'm of Jesus. And Paul's like, is, is Christ divided? Has he been divvied up? Then what are these divisions that are happening among you? And we go, yeah, yeah, you know, all those people back there in Corinthians, in, in the city of Corinth, yeah, they had a real problem with division. Have you seen the Protestant tradition? You know, there's that, there's that old joke, there's that old joke, you know, there's a, um, there's a Baptist, <laughs> there's, there's a, a guy who's stranded on, the, on, on a desert island, he's a Baptist, and they come and they rescue him, and, and they find him, he's like, he's, he's like, hey, let me show you around, let me, let me show you what I've done, he's like, you know, this is, this is the first island Baptist church, and, um, and I left that one to start the second island Baptist church, because <laughs> we didn't like the way we were doing things in the first one. <laughs> We, 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 we split and we divide and we are so quick, quick to divide from one another. And I think part of it is because we just got options today. We just have options. They didn't really have too many options back then. You know, let's say you're in Ephesus. It's a city of maybe 300,000, 400,000 people. You know, Christianity is a new movement. There's maybe a couple, maybe, you know, Five to six house churches scattered around the city, maybe. If you have a disagreement with Jim over something, you can't really just kind of skip out and just like, well, I, I know I can go to the church down the street and never have to see Jim again. And we can just, you know, we'll just chalk it up to a disagreement. No, you, you had to see him next week at church. They lived in genuine community. They lived in genuine, and yes, there were problems. Yes, there were difficulties. Most of Paul's letters are addressing problems and difficulties in the first century church. Let's not, let's not um, see the first century with rose-colored glasses and, and, and just, oh man, that's, they had problems, but the expectation was that because of the reality of the new creation in Jesus Christ, we have been made one, and there is this expectation that because we've been made one, we should attempt to stay one. Now, I don't think that means we all have to meet 
in the same building. You know, we wouldn't all fit. But the spirit that's there, a spirit of unity, a willingness to be unified is what is needed in our day. And I believe that God is doing this amongst his people when he's causing them to reprioritize what they value in their faith. Causing them to reprioritize their relationship with Christ and their relationship with others over and against personal preferences. And so I want, I want to give some tips for promoting unity. Because it's all well and good for us to say, well, yeah, like everyone should be unified. So get on board with what I think. Get on board with my preferences and we'll be fine. I mean, if you all agree, let's, you, we can get on board with my preferences and I'm good. Judging, <laughs> judging by that, like that. <laughs> yeah. I imagine you're probably not keen, especially Keith. <laughs> so what are we to do? What are we to do? What are we to do with this kaleidoscope of people that God has created and has made brand new in Jesus Christ? What are we to do? How do we actually work towards this unity in the spirit that Paul's talking about? Well, I've got some tips, and these are practical. These come from experience. Um, that, that some of them will have sort of biblical references, but here's, here we go. The first tip for promoting unity in the body of Christ, and these are in no particular order, but be slow to judge. Be slow to judge. Flash judgments are usually not wise judgments. Make careful inquiry into things and make sure you understand a situation fully before coming to a conclusion. You want to be slow to judge. There's been so many times when, <clears throat> when, when you know, I've seen something, I'm like, mm, I don't like that. Or, mm, that person's trouble or whatever. And, and then it's like, and, and again, this has just come from the experience of making this mistake so many times. When I'm forced into a situation where I actually get to, to know that person and why they are the way they are, and their history and their background and all these sorts of things, and oh, okay. Like as in so much just gets resolved out of compassion and grace. <clears throat> so be slow to judge. Second tip for promoting unity, be inquisitive. Be inquisitive. There's going to be people you don't like, just because your personalities don't mesh. Maybe you grew up in different cultural situations. There's just going to be people you don't like. It's just going to be, it's just going to happen. But adopt a posture of inquisitiveness. Why do they think the way that they think? Why are they the way that they are? You see, when we adopt a posture of inquisitiveness... We're no longer just separate. Like we're, we're attempting to bridge that gap in our understanding. We're attempting to bridge that gap in our knowledge of that other person. 
And in order to properly understand a person, in order to properly even judge a person, you need to know them. You need to know them. You know, we, we, we often think, and this, this, is, this is the conclusion that I've come to after so many years in the church, we often think that because we're all speaking English generally, that we all mean the same things by the words we use. And that is just not true. It's like that old adage between the United States and, and Great Britain. They're, 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 they're a single people divided by the same language. <laughs> because people in the UK think differently to people in America. People in different church tribes and church circles think differently to one another. They approach the scriptures differently to one another. They approach the, 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 the work and the experience of the Holy Spirit differently from one another. And I think it's incumbent upon us, if we are to be humble as Paul says, and to try and promote this unity, I think it's incumbent upon us to be inquisitive. Think of it like you're a missionary going to a foreign land where you've got to learn to speak the local language. You wouldn't just walk into a foreign country. Well, you shouldn't just walk into a foreign country as a missionary and just start yelling in English and they have no idea what you're saying. And you're just like, well, I know I'm right. I've spoken like this my whole life, and people have not had any issue understanding me where I'm from, and neither should you. You see the ridiculousness of that. Well, if we take a step back into our own cultural situations, we realize we do the exact same thing in our different church circles. Because we don't take the time to be inquisitive and to find out, okay, how, how are they talking about this thing? How are they thinking about this thing? Third thing, assume a twofold posture of peace in the truth as you see it. So be at peace. Be at peace with the truth as you see it. With an openness for the Spirit to move you into greater truth if it turns out you weren't as right as you once were. Does that make sense? <clears throat> Sometimes people are afraid of open-mindedness. People are afraid of genuine, open discussion about, about new things or things that they don't understand. And I would encourage you all to be at peace with the truth as, as you understand it. Your salvation was never dependent upon you being omniscient. Thank God. So you know the Lord as you know the Lord. And you know the scriptures as you know the scriptures. And you know the truth of the, of the gospel as you know the truth of the gospel. And be open to God bringing you into greater and fuller truth as you walk with him, as you progress with him. <clears throat> Fourthly, be willing to be wronged. Be willing to be wronged. You know, Paul... Paul will talk about <clears throat> Paul will talk about in Corinthians again. Maybe we should have just been there, but in Corinthians again, when he talks about, it, he's like, you know, these divisions among you, and then he's, he just like, I think it's around about chapter five. He just jumps and he's like, and I, I hear that there's lawsuits between believers. He's like, firstly, it's bad enough. It's bad enough that you're bringing these lawsuits between believers to the courts 
airing the church's dirty laundry because you guys couldn't just figure it out. He's like, secondly, is there no one wise in your church who can mediate and bring a, and bring a, a righteous judgment between you two? And he's like, and then thirdly, why not just be wronged? Why not just be wronged? Sometimes, sometimes you need to just accept being wronged. It doesn't mean that you were wrong. And it doesn't mean that person's in the right. But sometimes, for the sake of unity and for the sake of peace, for the sake of your own heart, you just need to go, okay, I forgive you. I forgive you. Have a willingness to yield to others. Have a willingness to yield to others. This is sort of in tandem with be willing to be wronged and have a willingness to yield to others. It doesn't mean you're a doormat, but it also means that you're willing to not always have your way. <clears throat> you're, not always, you're willing to not always have your way, which is really important when we have so many people with conflicting values and conflicting ideas of what's important and what needs to be done now and, and how everything needs to go and, and all this sort of thing. Be willing to yield to others for the sake of unity and for the sake of peace. I'll give you, I'll give you two examples. One, when God brings the Israelites out and he, and he makes them a nation, and they start saying, we want a king. And God's saying, you don't want a king. I'm your king. You don't really want one. And they're like, no, 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 no. We, we want a king. And he's like, no, you don't. And then you go, I think it's in, I believe it's in Samuel where he goes through and he says, he says no, you don't want a king because here's the deal: if you get yourself an earthly king like the other nations that you're so fond of right now, they're going to abuse you, they're going to take your wealth, they're going to take your sons and put them in the army, they're going to take your maidens and put them into this. This king is going to rule over you and abuse you. I am your king. And the Israelites say, no, 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 no. We we understand all that. We still want a king. Now, God at that point probably would have been within his rights to go, well, see ya, you don't want me. But even God, for the sake of that relationship, was like, okay, you can have a king. You can have a king. And it's going to be bad for you. And, they, and they, they make Saul their king. And lo and behold... It was just as God said. It went bad for them. But where was God? He was still there, doing what he does, which is faithfully bringing good out of our bad choices. <laughs> so be willing to yield to others. Be willing to yield to others. So long as it's not going to cause your conscience to be um, violated. I would just add that caveat. Don't let anyone ever pressure you into sinning or violating your conscience. <laughs> Actually, I remember as, as I was writing this down, um, <clears throat> I was reminded of that movie, The Night at the Museum. Have you seen, anyone seen that movie? And so basically the premise of The Night at the Museum is there's a, a security guard, Ben Stiller, he gets his job at a museum, and he's like the night watch. And what happens at this museum is that all the exhibitions come alive at night, basically. And so, like, um, and so he's running around, you know, 
you know, comedy ensues. Um, <clears throat> but there's this bit where there's this monkey that comes to live at night, and he's constantly stealing things and messing with Ben Stiller and all this stuff. And, and Ben Stiller's getting upset at this monkey, and he's, and he's fighting with this monkey all the time. And uh, Teddy Roosevelt, you know, the Teddy Roosevelt statue obviously comes to life, and he's just like, hey, who's evolved? Who's evolved? Like, be the bigger man. <laughs> who's evolved? Sometimes... As Christians, you just need to be evolved. And I realize that's probably enough to set some people off. <laughs> grace, grace. <laughs> Sometimes you just need to be the more Jesus-y person, which is my next point. Try to be the most Jesus-y person. Try to be the most Jesus-y person. Was Jesus misunderstood? Yep. Was Jesus mistreated? Yep. And his response in that is, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And finally, where unity is just not possible. Where unity is just not possible. And unfortunately, sometimes we as human beings, in our limited understanding and our unsanctified ways, we often reach, sometimes we reach an impasse where it's just, there's no way we can figure it out. And so, unfortunately, we part ways. Firstly, I want to encourage you in those situations that as much as it depends on you, be at peace with everybody. As much as it depends on you, be at peace with everybody. But I want to encourage you just to the last piece of wisdom, just as, as the, the team is coming up. He says, where unity, where unity is not possible, step back and trust the God who works all things for good, keeping a heart posture of reconciliation. And just building on last week, I would say, practice patience. Practice patience. I genuinely believe that as God's people, if we approach each other in humility, and we approach each other with grace and mercy, with a willingness to understand and to hear each other out, that we will have a far greater, a far stronger natural unity that happens one to another. We'll have genuine relationship with one another. I never, I never want to have, I never want to have a relationship with somebody in the church where they have to find out down the track that there was unwritten, there was an unwritten code. There's unwritten conditions upon my friendship with them. That I would only be their friend so long as they came to my church. That I would only be in relationship with them if they believed what I believed. That I would, I would, only, I would only be willing to, to sit with them or, or, to, or to, to hear them out or to be a friend or to be Jesus to them if they meet some unwritten conditions. If we begin approaching people the same way that Jesus told his disciples to approach people, which is the, to love them the way the Father loves, which is putting no conditions on your love, to love freely, to love all people. I think that if we could get that into our hearts, I think there's a genuine fruitfulness, a genuine unity that will come about when we do that. Because you see... <clears throat> I've had really difficult relationships with people before. With this guy. 
He's like, oh no. <laughs> when we first started working together, we had all the difficulties in the world. You know, the amount of times I yelled at him. Now, I know you could never imagine me yelling, but but the reality is, is, is once by God's grace, we were forced to work together. And we were forced to see each other and to get to know each other. We began to trust each other. And that place of trust can really only be arrived at when we approach each other in humility. And there's that cultural expectation that we give each other grace, we hear each other out, we wanna understand who the other person is. Because that's how Jesus approaches us. It's how he approaches us. So I'd love for you to stand, we're gonna pray. Spirit, I pray you would help our hearts. Oh, God, I know from, from home, my own personal experience, my heart is a mixed bag of mixed intentions, impure motives, wrong thoughts. I see in part, I only know in part, and so often, Lord, I know that from my own experience, God, that just creates tension and difficulty with others but I pray Holy Spirit that, that you would be that you would be binding hearts together that you would be bringing your people into unity that you would be bringing people back into relationship I pray for a spirit of reconciliation Lord Jesus let us be filled with with your love. Let us love others with the love that you have for us. Let us strive to accept nothing less. So Jesus, I actually just want to pray for those who are here and you're and, and they're broken heart. You're brokenhearted here this morning. Jesus, I pray you would be binding up those broken hearts where broken relationships have led to broken hearts, tender spots in, within us that, that make us want to hide away from each other, that wanna make us want to shy away from each other. Holy Spirit, I pray you be breathing on those things now and you'll be bringing healing in Jesus' name, healing to hearts in Jesus' name, healing of relationships in Jesus' name, reconciliation in Jesus' name. pray, Lord, that where there's unity, you would command a blessing. So, Lord, I pray you would bring us all into unity, not to snuff out or to, or to remove the diversity that exists here, but to help us to be unified in you, Jesus. Father, bless us.